Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So one of the things I try to do a good bit of is I try to listen to feedback, right? I mean, it's one of those things where you never want to hear too much negative feedback. And I don't care, you know, who you are. That You know, there's just a certain aversion you have to hearing, you know, critical things. But it's one of those things, if I'm going to do a show like this that serves a lot of people, how people respond to the content we produce probably matters. Let me give you an example of this from about a year ago. So if you want to go back to like last spring, April, heading into May, one of the things I talked about a lot is that if Georgia was going to break through and win a national championship, it had to have more top-end elite performers emerge on the field. And that we had three years of really overwhelming evidence of that. Alabama dominated last year's NFL draft the year after winning a national championship. LSU had done that the previous year. Clemson had kind of done that the year before that. And you've heard me say this now a bunch of times, but there is a clear correlation between teams that have a lot of elite NFL draft talent and teams that also win a national championship. And the thing that I said over and over again last year was that the number in my mind is about six. It seems like you've got to have about six first-round picks if you want to give yourself the best chance of winning a national championship. That's one of the reasons why it's gotten so hard to compete in college football because imagine how deep a roster you have to be to have six first-round picks or something close to that. That's just a really hard thing to pull off. But over the course of the previous three years up until you know the 2021 season, that is kind of what it had been. And I really hammered that home a lot because I would say that if you were going into this past season – you know, put yourself back in time a year ago, looking ahead of the 2021 campaign, that Georgia didn't really have six of those names on the early mock drafts of likely first round picks. That's not really the kind of waters Georgia was thought to swim in. You know, elite team, you know, preseason top five for sure. But producing that kind of top end talent, that's not really what was projected because you didn't really see that many names, you know, on the preseason first team all SEC or the first team all America, things like that. That what we said was, hey, if Georgia's going to win the national championship, you're going to have to have a lot of individual players really emerge. You're going to have to have a lot of guys step forward in concert with each other and play better than their current projections would suggest. And if Georgia was going to win the national championship that was the path it was going to have to travel and we kept saying the number here is about six about six first team all sec guys about six you know you know first round picks that's kind of what it had to be and the feedback i got about that at the time is ba you're talking about this a lot ba you've said this now many many times uh ba do you think you should maybe mix in some new content because you have said this quite a bit and i said before I try to be sensitive to feedback, and I try to really listen to what people say about the show. Not every piece of feedback I get I think is necessarily accurate or useful and helpful, but but in some cases, if I'm hearing the same thing a few times, I have to really listen, I have to really consider that, and I have to really pay you know very close uh, attention to all of that. Well, in my mind, even though some people a year ago were saying that I was talking about the same thing too much – the notion that Georgia had to have about a half dozen or so elite performers emerge if it wanted to win the national championship, I was comfortable repeating myself on that. I was comfortable saying that many times on the show because ultimately that's how true I thought it was. And I hate to pat myself on the back here because I try not to be an ego guy too much. But as it turns out, I was exactly right about that in terms of just how valuable elite top-end talent 
probably is when it comes to winning a national championship. And when it's all said and done, Georgia's probably not going to get to six first rounders. But man, they're going to come awful close. And in fact, they've essentially achieved the goal that I thought they needed to achieve, even if it's not exactly six first rounders. Let me give you this. Chad Reuter, writing for NFL.com, has got a four-round mock draft up right now. And he has not six first-rounders from Georgia, but seven UGA players among the top 40. So if you think there are 32 uh, first-round picks, to get seven in the top 40 is coming very, very close, essentially landing at that measuring stick stick benchmark I thought they had to have a a year ago. What Reuter has up at NFL.com is uh, Trayvon Walker going number four overall, which, by the way, some of the recent chatter as of late potentially has Walker as the number one overall pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which would be obviously a great thing for Trayvon. We'll watch that and see how it progresses. But in this particular case, the writer here for NFL.com has got him going number four overall. He's got Jordan Davis at number 10, Devontae Wyatt at 17th, Nicobe Dean at 24, George Pickens at 34. This is now into the second round. Lewis Singh going 39th, Quay Walker going 40th. So that's seven guys among the top 40. Obviously, Pickens didn't play very much last year, but he did contribute some in the, in the postseason. So essentially, that's you know, not, it's not six in the first 32, but it's seven in the top 40. That's basically exactly what I thought Georgia had to do uh, for this past season. So essentially, they achieved it. The individual guys raised their level of play. Collectively, that allowed Georgia to raise its level of play. It got over the hump against Alabama. It won the national championship. And the performance of the top-end talent, the top-end stars in this team, is what progressed all of that and now the page is turned and now you say okay that's what the 2021 team did but those guys are leaving and now you got to figure out what is left now for 2022 and the key issue that I think stands in the way of Georgia repeating as national champions first of all when it comes to all these great NFL players that are no longer on, on this team anymore moving on to the Sunday league Kirby Smart addressed this a couple of weeks ago of just how significant that loss will be and just how big a hole that makes and how big those shoes are to fill for the guys that now have to step in and all that this is what Kirby said about that a couple of weeks ago to kick off spring practice so that'll be a challenge for us lost a lot of good defensive players lost some really good wideouts so um, it's on to the next and you got to create your identity through who you have and that's what you do as a coach and you know you do the best job you can with it and try to get the most out of them but certainly proud of those guys and uh coming over here to this meeting i've ran into a bunch of them and they're, they're getting to see new parts of our building that they had not seen and uh it's great to see them really happy for them uh so many of those guys you know worked their tail off they didn't get there through some easy deal they, they, they worked really hard and that's what our players now have to understand it doesn't come easy yeah i mean what smart says there at the end i think is so important that they had to work hard to get there in fact if you rewind back a year ago there were a lot of the guys who are going to be drafted where apparently they're going to be drafted and we'll obviously wait and see how accurate a mock draft like this turns out to be but let's just assume for the sake of conversation it is accurate a lot of these guys i mean of the seven names i just mentioned how many of them are of a much higher draft category now than they would have been 12 months ago or at least projected to be 12 months ago looking ahead to the the spring of 2022 and in, in, in that nfl draft a lot of them are they had to work a lot over the last year just to get to this point in time so they deserve a lot of credit for that we'll continue to do that but we'll also continue to talk about how does the 2022 team travel down that same path and if you're thinking georgia as reigning national champion the possibility that georgia could win the national championship again this season uh, for the upcoming year of 2022 it's the same thing what was true a year ago remains true right now. 
you have got to find about a half dozen elite top-end performers. Now, the recipe for that in 2022 was like three different defensive linemen, a couple of different, actually probably, yeah, yeah, a couple of different linebackers, you know, a safety, a wide receiver. You know, that's kind of the recipe for that. If you're talking about for 2022, it doesn't have to be the same slots. Like it, it's it's probably not going to be three defensive linemen, but it may be an outside linebacker. It's probably not going to be, you know, necessarily a wide receiver next year's draft, but could it be, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be the exact same recipe of positions, but the same number of elite top-end guys, that's what it needs to be. And ironically, even though Georgia's coming off this great national championship success, and even though Georgia's once again going to be very highly ranked to start the 2022 campaign, it is also a situation where as of right now, you don't really have an obvious projection of six or seven guys that could be top 40 picks or six guys that could be first round picks next year. You're going to have to see some of these guys emerge. So at the risk of kind of wearing out my welcome with you and talking too much, but the same topic, what was true for Georgia last year is true. Again, you've got to find your six, you got to find your, your, your seven top 40 type guys. I think a few of these are, are, are pretty easy to imagine. Like right now, the face of this program, I believe, the best player, uh, if you had the old school media guide or the old school printed tickets, the guy whose face would show up on so much of that is Jalen Carter. He was you know, among the most talented players in this team a year ago. That's even more so true for this year. He's the one guy that's the easiest to imagine being a first-round pick in next year's NFL draft, so pretty easy to put him in that category. I think the next guy that's kind of like that as well is probably Nolan Smith. You know, Smith's got some issues to address. He's got some things to prove to NFL draft scouts. They're going to ask questions about his size, as a for instance, but he was the former number one recruit in the entire country. Uh, this is a guy who showed you a lot of leadership and productivity Activity a year ago came back to Georgia with a real goal a purpose in mind he's here for a reason establishing himself at the front end of next year's NFL draft is clearly the mission that he's on it's easy to imagine he might get there you'll put Nolan in the category of Jalen Carter as most obvious potential first round picks for uh, next season I guess the next name I might put there might be Keely Ringo just because of where he once was as a prospect what he looks like in terms of his overall you know physical specs the way that he played by the end of the last year of course the uh, the uh, interception the national championship game maybe the most prominent in all of that so to me it's fairly easy to get to that three but who are your other three here for a moment is it from your running back room that includes guys like Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh is it in your offensive line situation we're obviously thinking about what Warren McClendon's been doing kind of manning that uh position there uh, you know, uh, along the offensive line, you start thinking about, you know, future type guys, because, because remember, it doesn't have to necessarily have to be a draft eligible guy for the 2023 draft. It just needs to be somebody that kind of has that future look for, for instance, I think most people would say that Brock Bowers has, has certainly has the look of a future first round pick right now, even though he won't be eligible for next year's NFL draft. And maybe that's what AD Mitchell kind of grows into. Maybe that's what Roderick Jones kind of grows into. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's whoever, whoever else. But to me, that's kind of the story for Georgia right now. I think repeating as national champions is very much a possibility for UGA. In fact, I believe it's actually more of a possibility than the team is currently being given credit for by some of the national media who already cares about this topic and who is already weighing in on it. But based on where things are right now, Georgia needs more top-end performers to emerge. That was the story of the calendar year of 2021. Over the course of that year, Georgia had 
a lot of big-time players who had potential trade that potential in for actual performance. And the path towards a national championship here again this year is going to be the exact same way. Who can join guys like Jalen Carter and probably Nolan Smith as being sure thing, future, very high-value NFL draft targets? If enough guys do take that same path in 2022 as they did in 2021, the dogs could be in good shape by year's end. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia, and we are glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, uh, starting at 945, first and 15, Dog Nation, ah, Dog Nation, let me try that again, I'm not quite so sure that was English, uh, the Dog Nation homepage and the Dog Nation app, that's what I'm trying to say there, that's 945, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 963F, and pretty much anywhere else you want to go, you can uh, just find Dog Nation Daily. We're happy that you do that. And big, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of George, making it all possible. You know, energy-efficient windows and doors, so important because, let's face it, the cost of things is just going up. And heating and cooling your house, that's also something that stands to probably get more expensive as we head, especially through the warm weather season that's on the way. And so being a good homeowner, but taking good care of your home means keeping that energy inside your house you don't want to waste money by having the energy escaping out because you have poorly fitted windows or or inefficient doors you, you know you want the product uh the the quality product that pella window and door george is famous for because it helps your house feeling good on the inside whether it's the cold weather or the warm weather time of year and it also looks great on the outside i mean let's face it pella window and door is a uh, you know recognized brand of excellence everyone knows what a uh, great thing that is and how much better it makes your house feel on the inside how much better it makes it look on the outside that's always a great thing there's also a great new showroom there in Duluth you can stop by and I'm a big believer that I like to put my hands on things and like to feel the quality of a product and when you stop by and see my friends at Pella Window and Door of uh, George and Duluth and put your hands on those doors and windows you're going to see for yourself and feel for yourself just how great all of this is it's a terrific experience it's open every uh monday through friday from nine to five saturday from ten to four you can stop by and see them yourself you can also start your shopping experience online there as well and right now you can get great savings between now and april 22nd you can get 50 percent off qualifying installations or payments as low as 99 dollars a month so check out the website it's pellaofga.com slash dog nation that's pellaofga.com slash dog nation you can also give them a call 678-638-1496 that's 678-638 1496 Palo Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, John Stinchcomb stopping by in a moment. A lot to get into with John. In fact, let me set up one of the conversations I want to have with John. Just got a message from our buddy Mike Griffith a moment ago as we transitioned around the doghouse here, kind of confirming a lot of the chatter that has been on the internet over the course of the last couple of days that a couple of other Georgia quarterbacks are getting a lot of look at practice with what you call the the number one offense, the number two offense. And that has kind of relegated, at least for now, or at least for a portion of the practice. Frankly, I, I can't say you know how much of all this is i know mike's got a story about this at dognation.com going up right now but that's kind of relegated stetson bennett now for the number three quarterback at times because brock vandegriff and carson back are getting their looks with the ones and the twos and the number one offense in particular right now for i guess both of these guys a little bit as I said before mike's got a story up there at dognation.com this has kind of been the chatter and on the one hand this is almost Kirby Smart just keeping a promise to us that he made when spring practice kicked off. He was asking about those quarterbacks and kind of what Georgia has in the quarterback situation, and he acknowledged that, hey, now is the time 
to kind of know what you have at quarterback. And this is the practice time that you have to kind of figure some of that kind of stuff out. Let me let you hear smart from when spring practice kicked off as a way of, I guess, reinforcing what we're seeing happening right now. Let me give you give you Kirby smart here. The biggest challenge for us for the spring is to get reps and develop because we don't have the depth at the skill positions, receiver and defensive back and even tight end to be able to do some of the things we like to do practice-wise. So we're trying to be innovative, creative in the way we practice because uh, quarterback development is critical. So if you have quarterbacks that aren't able to get reps, how do they get better? So I'm big on challenging our, our staff to be creative in the ways we rep those guys, who goes with what groups, how many reps a week you get, what percentages. Uh, we want to see those guys get better. It's easy, you know, when you have three groups of offensive linemen, they all, they all get work. But you might have four quarterbacks, and it's hard to get those guys enough work. So wanting to see those guys improve, um, you know, they can't all play. So it's a matter of growing them to get them in a position to where they can be successful. So I guess I have a lot to say about this. I don't know that my thoughts are very well organized on it necessarily. First of all, this is kind of what I called for when Stetson Bennett made the announcement to come back I celebrated that as really good news because Bennett did a lot of really good things for Georgia a year ago however I also said that I wanted to find out I mean I'm not the one that's making the decision I'm the one in practice field but as someone who follows this stuff closely like like you all do I want to find out what does Georgia have in Carson Beck what does Georgia have in in Brock Vandegrift and practice time is your time to do that so if the the presence of backing Vandegrift in taking these reps is an example of them getting a chance to compete for the job and maybe even wrestle it away from from Stetson Bennett. I, I think that's the only fair thing to do. You know, it's not fair to ask a guy like Carson to be here for three years by giving him some look at seeing what he's all about. And and for a guy like Brock Vanderriff going to a second year, I think he deserves that chance there uh, there as well. There are some people who are going to say, "Oh, this is just much ado about nothing. This is just spring practice. Not really doesn't really matter right now. Uh, there's nothing to be read into splitting up these reps this way." And maybe that's true, but that doesn't really ring too true for me. I mean, you know, part of practicing as the number one quarterback is also giving a chance for the receivers and the rest of the offense to work with you there as well. That if 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 you're a team that has a true number one quarterback. It doesn't seem like you would voluntarily move that guy away and give substantial playing time to somebody else in that role unless you were considering something about all of that. So I can't necessarily just kind of wipe this away and say this is a big nothing. This is you know a, a nothing burger. I, it doesn't really feel like nothing to me. But at the same time, you know, who's to say that what's ongoing at Georgia practice right now doesn't end up being a little bit like the last couple of years have been where Stetson Bennett didn't practice very much at all as the number one quarterback before the 2020 season, and yet spent a huge portion of that year as Georgia's starting quarterback, including kind of saving it at the beginning of the year when it otherwise probably wouldn't have had much of a quarterback. And in 2021, kind of much the same way, you know, Bennett barely played at G-Day at all a year ago and wasn't practicing very much leading up the start of the season. And lo and behold, not only did he emerge as Georgia's starting quarterback, he emerged as the starting quarterback that led Georgia to a, a national championship. I jokingly said this with our video audience before the show began, has anybody ever started more while practicing less than Stetson Bennett? Maybe this is kind of another example of that. Once again, that in itself is kind of a, at least in my mind, a little bit of a weird oddity. So I'm not quite so sure yet ready to say where I think this is going. Other than I think it is right and fair to give both Beck and Vandegrift their shot and 
maybe a lot of this is motivated by the presence of the transfer portal and the fact that it's just seemingly a foregone conclusion that someone, the odd man out in all of this, is probably on his way to play somewhere else. Maybe you're seeing a school like Georgia take a little bit different you know, attack with its quarterbacks than otherwise would. Maybe that's the case. But here's the flip side of this, too. You know, I said this going back to, what, Friday or so, which is that, you know, silence would be deafening when it comes to Beck and Vandegrift. That after all of this, if you're still not hearing about one of these guys truly emerging, that's the kind of thing that you should probably take as a clue about something. That, that you know, let's say come September or come August, that Bennett really is the same spot that he was for most of last year uh, as the starting quarterback on this team. I don't think, based on what you're seeing happening right now, at least based on what we're hearing happening right now, Mike's reporting on this, plenty of other internet chatter about it there as well, I I don't think you can say that Beck and Vandergriff aren't getting their shot to show you what they're all about. That seems to be happening right now. Will one of these guys or both these guys make a significant move as we head towards the spring? I'm all ears to find out, and I'm uh, certainly watching this very closely, as are all of you. But uh, for now, it seems like Georgia's taking some liberties with its quarterback spot and by no means does it seem to be business as usual it seems like you're getting a lot more guys involved here smart said he would do that that's kind of what's happening now and what does it result in well i guess we'll have to tune in to find out about a lot more about that so that is the story around uga practice right now and that is around the doghouse i want to find out more about what john stinchcomb thinks about this the unorthodox nature of it or maybe not quite so unorthodox uh we'll let john tell us more about what he thinks about that and a whole lot more to get into there as well so let's have a good time here on a monday it is dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia and it's the former all-american john stinchcomb right now from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so let me bring in john stinchcomb on the story and john i'll I get you up to speed here so uh mike griffith had kind of texted me a couple of minutes ago about uh Carson Beck and, and Brock Vandegrift and his confirmation that yeah they've been working some as the number one number two quarterbacks during practice which I guess for now has kind of slid you know Stetson Bennett during these practice sessions to the number three quarterback um at least for a while now some people are going to say well this is spring practice the order in which quarterbacks are playing doesn't really matter much right now Georgia's next game still many months away and while that's true it also doesn't seem to me to be all that's sensible to totally disregard all of this because, I mean, my guess is that New Orleans Saints practices, uh, Drew Brees didn't practice the number three quarterback a whole lot, uh, you know, there for you there at the time. So let me just kind of ask you an open-ended question. We'll see, we'll see where this goes. What do you make of the idea that Beck and, and Vandergriff are getting a longer, deeper, maybe a little bit closer look than some people thought they might be getting when Stetson Bennett made his announcement to come back? Well, I think it's a great opportunity for those guys to work with different sets of receivers. It's hard to analyze a player uh, when you're stuck with the – I say stuck with. I'll use that term loosely. When you're stuck with working with the same guy. And if you're working with, let's call it the uh, third string wide receivers, and you know, you're like, man, his timing's off. Or he can't deliver the deep ball, but yet you give him an opportunity with – your A talent, you're with your first stringers, and all of a sudden he looks like he's, you know, a better player. I think it, it builds rapport across the team. I think you get opportunities for guys uh, to work in and try to build that chemistry with a number of players. 
but it's still spring ball. I think this is a great opportunity and really the only opportunity that you have to, to mesh these guys in and not just at those positions. There's, I'm sure it's happening across the board. This is, you know, quarterback's your marquee position. That's where you spend a lot of time analyzing and focusing. And um, for most teams, that's the, the one position that you can't, um, you can't screw up on. And with Georgia, I think the, the scenario now and the case that we have in hand is you've got a number of talented players and you're trying to get them all better to give you the best option once August and September does roll around. But uh, is it, is it, it's great for these guys. Should you read it into it too much? Not really. I think it's uh, one of those things where you're trying to get opportunities for guys to uh, show what they've got and, and build uh, a case for themselves moving into uh, training camp, which, you know, is months away, but this is a, a prime example and prime opportunity for guys to, uh, have their names mentioned when coaches are preparing for the season once end of July rolls around. Yeah, so I'm not so comfortable saying I know exactly what this is, but I guess I'm you know fairly comfortable in saying what it isn't. And you know, at, at one point in time, I think some folks were wondering, oh, with Stetson Bennett coming back, you know, uh, there you go that that he's the only one that's going to get a look here, and 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 Vandegrift and and Beck are going to continue to be like. I guess relegated to to backup status and neither guy's going to get much of a chance or much of a look. It's pretty obvious that's not true. It's pretty obvious that one way or another that if they are, you know, the next big thing, I mean, they're getting a chance to show that right now and making good use of that practice time. The responsibility, I would say, now rests with them. And who knows, maybe one or both those guys, you know, take the bull by the horns here and does exactly that. But they are not being ignored, uh, would certainly be the indication that you're getting based on the reporting that's out there. Do, do you agree with that part of this? I do. And I think it's a, it's a smart play. Now is the time where you want these guys to, to get the reps in and, and have the opportunities to throw to your prime wide receivers and get in front of a, or behind an offensive line that can give them the opportunity to get the ball down the field. And that's, that's part of the picture that a lot of fans miss is um, sometimes when you work with the second and third string offensive line, and trust me, I've been there before uh, for the quarterbacks, it's hard to analyze, you know, where they're at as players because they're just not given the same amount of time. There's, individual breakdowns all of a sudden a guy's in your face and you're rushing the ball and you're going well he's, he's not making great decisions well he's not been given the time to uh so when you have these young talented players one i think it's uh, you know as much as the game has changed you have to recruit in-house as much as you do uh in high school these days because of the transfer portal and uh, when if they were to get the sense that man i'm buried on this depth chart we live in a day and age where players are are quick to pull the trigger and, and jump ship and move on to the next greener pasture where the opportunity seems to be a little bit brighter for them. So I think there's probably some strategy there that every team across the country is having to play where, uh, you know, if, if you haven't been the guy before, you need to at least give them a realistic uh, opportunity to uh, become the guy or, or fight for playing time, especially for other positions, unlike quarterback, where you can rotate guys in. We've seen that in the past with wide receivers, outside linebackers, uh, defensive line, where they're platooned in. You know, quarterback's a little bit different. We haven't seen that quite as much. But I, I think the idea 
that you're recruiting in-house and want these guys to know that they have a real opportunity, uh, that needs to be authentic. And I think Georgia in the past has proven that they're willing to go with the, the best guy and make those changes. Um, they certainly have done that a couple times with Stetson in the past. So um, it's, it's great for them. It's great for the individual player to have the playing time to get out there and, and perform. Uh, but it's also there's some strategy in place, I'm sure, that you want to keep this this talented roster as intact as you possibly can and not lose pieces over the summer uh, like we've seen in, from other teams and, and from our from our own in the past. Let me just do two quick things on this, and then we can change the subject and talk about something else. I mean, you know, first of all, I just want to be blunt for a second. Like there are a lot of people who assume, ah, oh, you know, Kirby Smart's, uh, you know, unduly loyal to Stetson Bennett, excessively loyal to Bennett. Like I don't know that there's any more wrong narrative, wronger, whatever <laughs> the, the the proper adjective here is, than that. I'm not even saying it's unfair or or what Smart's doing is, is somehow wrong, but you know, this notion of you know, uh, Smart's just got kind of a soft spot in his heart for Bennett, and he's sort of the teacher's pet, and Bennett can do no wrong in Smart's eyes. I sort of get the impression that Stetson Bennett has never quite felt, you know, you know, felt that way, just given the fact. That that at one point in time didn't really have a scholarship here, and then he had a scholarship but no real chance to play. And, you know, through thick and thin, Bennett always seems to emerge, only to be seemingly, I guess, questioned again when it's all, all, all said and done there. And as I said before, I, I don't know that in any instance here, Smart's, you know, done anything wrong or Todd Munkin's done anything wrong. But but certainly for those who all talk about the, you know, uh, excessive level of loyalty that Georgia seems to show towards Bennett, I mean, for me, the evidence toward, towards that point has always been pretty lacking, and I guess these practice reps being divided up is another example of that in my mind. Yeah, I, I certainly don't see that. I know fans uh, have, have made that case in my presence in the past, and I just disagree with it. I think Stetson's been a guy that probably has been overlooked, especially by fans, but also by the coaching staff, admittedly so at times, where they say, you know, he, wasn't the, he doesn't look the part as much as some of the others in that room. But yet, as they review some of the film from primarily practices, you're going, this guy keeps making plays and has earned his opportunity much more than it was given to him. And uh, that's to his testament. I, I think that's been his storyline. It certainly hasn't been the way fans have interpreted it. There's been multiple times, especially in our discussions during last season, where um, it, it, you know there, there was multiple weeks where we're going uh, – the upswell of fans going, where's JT? Why is he given the chance? Kind of undermines the performance that Stetson had to have shown week in and week out, primarily in practice, that he was the best hand to go with um, as the starting quarterback for, for Georgia. And uh, I think the same is true here. He's got great competition in that room and will continue to have to prove himself like every other position does that he gives Georgia the best chance to win ball games, but I don't think there's this unrealistic loyalty uh, from Coach Smart or the rest of the staff. It's, you know, like every other team uh, that I've played on, and I'm sure many others have. Uh, more often than not, it goes to the best performer and the guy who gives you the best chance to win. And when you're playing for national championships, that's what you want. And you know, I wouldn't expect anything less to occur in Athens. So one more thing on this. This is going to sound like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm meaning this in, in a true literal sense. I think the fact that Bennett has started as much as he has and has played as well as he has when he's started 
while practicing as little as he has in the leading up the start of the season is actually one of the most amazing things I've ever seen that he I mean we have on the record accounting of this that he was not in any way practicing the number one quarterback before the 2020 season started and yet you know he came and saved George's bacon against Arkansas and then became the guy for a good portion of the season after that 2021 much the same way I think he threw four passes at G-Day a year ago under no consideration with the starting quarterback uh, before the season began and yet ultimately led George to a national championship as its starting quarterback and now here we are you know you know another year later and once again at least based on you know some of the reporting that's out there and some of the internet chatter you know not really working as the number one quarterback recently in practice there as well it's amazing that he started and played as well as he has while practicing as little as he has and this is now going on three years like that's a really amazing story to me john it is pretty funny i mean especially when you look at it that way i think a lot of guys uh, well, not not a lot of guys. I think some guys are more proficient at getting mental reps and understanding what they they need to do when they're in this situation uh, once they're thrown into the fire. And a lot of guys struggle with that. I think uh, not having the the reps really limits their ability to improve. And I think Stetson has certainly proven to be the exception to the rule because he hasn't been given the reps, but when given the opportunity to get out on the field and perform, he has done so in a way that has built confidence, not only with the staff, but the rest of the team. They, you know, We mentioned a couple times the number of players that had his back when the media and, and fans would question why Stetson, uh, they would be some of the first to step in and say, uh, he's got our trust and he we, we have faith in him to perform and, and be the leader that we need him to be. Um, and that sentiment has continued to be echoed since the, the end of that 21 football season and uh, his coming back to be a part of this team, I think you can hear from a, a number of the guys that um, he certainly has their trust. Let me uh, shift gears to something else. I talked about this off the top of the show a moment ago that to me, the story of George winning the national championship in 2021 was having elite top end talented players emerge as you know, potential first-round picks. There's an NFL.com mock draft right now that has seven Georgia players selected in the top mm. 40. That's obviously a lot of high-end talent, uh, and it really rivals what a lot of the recent national champions have done as well. So my theory on this, John, is is that if Georgia's going to repeat as national champions in 2022, you've got to have a few guys travel a similar path there as well. Now, it doesn't have to be a perfect position-for-position matchup. For instance, it may not be three defensive linemen. probably wouldn't be. But to go along with what you think of as kind of sure things, like maybe a Jalen Carter and probably a Nolan Smith, finding a few more of those top-end guys uh, is really crucial to Georgia's chances of being the best team in the country again next season. I guess two-parter here. First of all, do you agree with that overall hypothesis? And who else do you see along with the Nolan and the Jalen as as the, hey, this player stands potentially among the very best in the country? Who's some of the top-end type talent you would see right now? Sure. Well, I do think this is a special class, but I think uh, the way Georgia has recruited in, in recent years, primarily in the, in the smart era, that you have, you're coming in with such great talent um, that although this year was special, I don't think it's going to be an anomaly to have you know, top three-round guys on a consistent basis that Georgia's putting out there. Probably not, uh, what was it, seven in the top 40? I think that's a, that's a rarity for any program. But being able to keep and, and develop top-end talent is something that Georgia is making a, uh, a staple of, which 
you know, you look across the country, there are certain teams that have been able to do that. Alabama obviously comes to mind as one of the best at uh, bringing in top talent, cultivating it, and then the NFL obviously values uh, those pieces when they when they go to draft day. So I think that's the, the realm that Georgia has now put themselves in. Um, you know, I, I fully expect Jalen Carter's name to be called very early. What a loaded defensive line this past season held uh, with with him arguably being one of the best, and that's a, a freaky statement to make considering you know, Trayvon, Jordan, and Devontae are, are all first-round guys. Um, but joining him, obviously Nolan Smith, him coming back, I think is a great boost for this defense. Uh, I, you know, I think we're all waiting for Darnell Washington to yeah. have that moment, that season that you say, golly, his play has matched his, his ceiling because it's one of the highest of any players that, that have come to town. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, I don't know if this cutie Ringo is, is, would he be eligible after next season? Um, but another guy who's got top end talent in the, in the back end to kind of make his mark. Um, so there's a number of guys across the board um, that really have that high-end ability that you're just waiting to see who shakes out and uh, who's able to, to put their name and, and, and rise it up the charts the way that a lot of our players did this past season. Let me finish with this. Katie Abramson Henderson uh, hired as Georgia women's basketball coach over the weekend. Ties to UGA, haven't played here. Coached for a while at UCF. Seemingly had some success there. Uh, I won't pretend to be an expert, you know, on the sport necessarily or or this hire, but there seems to be a lot to like about it. Uh, John, you're obviously a big stakeholder in the program. You have anything to say on the new women's basketball coach at UGA? Well, obviously, two new changes. Uh, coach Joni, uh, I was a big fan of, so. You know, I wish her well, and you, you hate to see her go. But anytime you can bring in a coach that, one, has ties to the university and, two, has found success uh, everywhere she's been, I think that's a win. I'm excited for her. It brings new energy and new life to a program that I think has, has been on the rise under Coach Taylor's leadership and um, now is, is at a point where when you transition, um, you know, Athletic Director Brooks has, has said we're looking to bring home championships and, and participate in postseason play. And so that's where the bar is. That's where the standard needs to be held. And um, this is a, a, a new era and under new leadership in, in women's basketball. And I think we're all going to be excitedly watching uh, the direction that it goes under Coach Abe uh john great stuff thank you so much for being here and yeah i think the coach apes gonna be a pretty good nickname uh given the fact the rest that's a little bit of a mouthful but um john that's yeah, all uh, re- really really good stuff i appreciate your insight it's always nice to be able to bounce these topics off of you and we'll look forward to getting a chance to speak to you again here very soon there as well always a good time ba go dog good stuff Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Uh, Michael uh, Carvel, our producer, had put up the graphic of uh, Georgia's new women's basketball coach a moment ago. Do you mind throwing that back up there again for a moment? I want to point something out, and I realize if you're listening to radio podcasts, you don't see this, but the Georgia Lady Dogs logo is a really cool logo. For those of you watching video, look at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, kind of the script G with the basketball in between. They've had this one now for a good long time. Uh, and by the way, this is actually kind of a cool graphic there as well, because if you look at the background of this, it's the Stegman Coliseum, uh, you know, uh, I think that's either Stegman Coliseum or Epcot. I'm not quite sure which one, but, uh, uh, it's, it's a very cool graphic and, uh, 
uh, I think the Lady Dogs logo is really cool. Like way cooler than like say like the Lady Vols logo, which introduces like a powder blue, which is not even like a Tennessee color. Uh, just give me that classic script G for the Lady Dogs. I like that as a logo. And happy to welcome in Abramson and Henderson as uh, Georgia's new uh, women's basketball coach. I'll say this really quickly, then we'll move on. I think the job of a coach like this at a place like Georgia is more than just winning games and recruiting players. There's a certain element of attention you have to recruit there as well. For instance, Dawn Staley at South Carolina, I saw a, a video with her. And you can take that down now. But I saw a video with her over the weekend where I guess one of the reporters that covers your team from time to time is not traveling to the Final Four maybe. And so there's this video that kind of went viral of her getting on the phone with the guy's boss and like basically chastising them for not sending him on the road. I think I have that story right. To, to go with the Lady Gamecocks or whatever they call their women's basketball team as they head towards the Final Four. There's a certain element of, hey, you know, no football coach is, you know, calling a reporter's boss. But if you're the women's basketball coach, you got to sell the program a little bit. And Dawn Staley seemed to be doing a pretty good job of that. Think about Bruce Pearl as men's basketball coach and the way in which he's, you know, gone to football games and painted himself up. Or back when he was Tennessee coach, he'd go to the Lady uh, Vols games and root on, you know, at the time uh, of the Great Pat Summit. And there's just an element of if you're the non-football coach in an SEC school, first of all, you got to understand the pecking order there when it comes to football, but you've also got to understand your own need to be a salesperson for your program. The very best are going to do that really well. And so that's an element of uh, Coach Abe, I guess we're going to call her, that I, I don't know much about, but that's going to go as much towards her own player recruiting and, and on-court coaching skills towards your success to place like UGA as much as really anything else. So with that said, we'll transition now to cruising around the SEC – courtesy of royal caribbean of course getting ready to be on board independence of the seas coming up now less than a month away that means spots are almost you know totally done and gone i know a lot of you kind of recently booked and i'm excited that you're going to be on board with us but for the remaining folks this is kind of it on all of that so go to dognation.com top of the page click the link you can also go to dognationcruise.com if you can't go and you just want to live vicariously through those of us who are you can go check it out there as well we're sailing out on Independence of the Seas Monday, April 25th out of Port Canaveral. Beautiful port, short drive from where I'm sitting here right now. Going to Nassau in the Bahamas, a great port to visit. Going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, which is literally maybe the most fun spot on the planet when it comes to just the thrill side, the chill side, all the cool things you can do on that great private island exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And on board, uh, whether it be the ice skating rink or the flow rider or you know so many of the cool things that you can do on board a royal caribbean cruise ship i mean the ship itself is a destination there's specialty restaurants like chops grill and azumi which is a great teppanyaki style uh, uh, uh hibachi uh restaurant there's a playmaker sports bar on board independence of the seas which is i think really cool i mean you know if you want to go back years ago the idea of watching a lot of sports while at sea was not always the easiest thing to do but now uh the technology makes that so easy and playmakers is like you know the coolest sports bar you can go to and yet it's right there for you on board a, a great royal caribbean cruise ship like independence of the sea so it's gonna be a great time we want you to be on board for all of that so make sure you check that out dognationcruise.com or at the top of the page at dognation.com for a lot more on that so let me give credit to one of our own if you want to go back to friday in our comment section i don't have the shot of the original comment but trust me when i tell you i saw it 
our great friend Brian Whitehead, who was actually a Golden Shoe winner last week, too. Let me just show you this on the screen. So we had talked about the fact that Lane Kiffin was going to throw out the first pitch before the Ole Miss-Tennessee baseball game. And one of the things we talk about from time to time is, hey, when you do throw first pitch, are you going to throw from the mound? 60 feet, 6 inches is no joke is what we said. You can leave that up there, please. Uh, and so uh, we had talked about that. And so when we had chatted about that in our comment section, Brian Whitehead to come in there to say that he predicted that Lane Kiffin before the Tennessee game would throw a golf ball instead of a baseball and as you see from the official Ole Miss account that is exactly what Lane Kiffin did that Brian Whitehead nailed that and you talk about an audience that knows a lot about the SEC including accurate predictions on first pitches before baseball games from football coaches that is how savvy my audience is Brian Whitehead among them I'm actually very impressed with this and maybe on the other hand this is just Lane Kiffin just staying very very true to form here because Kiffin always kind of finds himself to you know a way to be a part of the news and certainly the fiasco that took place last year in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium with Tennessee fans throwing golf balls and mustard bottles and everything else Kiffin has found a way to kind of bring that back up in the news as much as he possibly can including before the baseball game here this weekend so funny by Lane Kiffin to do what he did cool for Ole Miss giving the attention they gave it and then Brian Whitehead with a very accurate prediction there on all of that final four is set and we do have you know, pretty rich with blue bloods in the uh, big dance here coming up. Duke, North Carolina, Villanova, Kansas. I think confession is good for the soul, and here is something I'll be willing to admit to you. I hate Duke, and I don't like the ACC. I did kind of want to see Duke, Carolina in the NCAA tournament as a you know kid who came of age as a child in the 1980s and then into the 1990s. You know, college basketball is a very big deal to me back then, and Duke-North Carolina matchups were very, very big, even though I'm not a fan of either team, and frankly, detest really both programs for the most part the fact that you do for what could be k's final game get north carolina here i gotta tell you i'm pretty interested in that i think that new orleans is gonna be right i saw i saw plane tickets from raleigh durham to uh new orleans right now in the thousands like three thousand dollar for a coach fair for raleigh durham and and, in new orleans right now it's amazing there's obviously going to be a lot of attention on this game and even though i hate the acc and certainly cannot stand duke i would say the attention for this is justifiable i mean it's it's a pretty big deal and you know villanova kansas kind of a big deal in its own right there as well two of the true i would say kind of blue blood type programs especially in recent years villanova's taking a big step towards doing that you know jay wright what he does as a coach i don't think can be overstated uh, he's about 60 percent for his career against the spread if you want to talk about a guy who is consistently exceeding even you know sharp projections and, and expectations for himself that is what Wright is doing there at Villanova this year's team another example of that and of course uh Kansas rolling right along there as well so for those of you who like the biggest possible matchups UNC Duke Kansas Villanova in New Orleans is about as close as you can get on that so pretty cool final four coming up on that and then I'll finish with this uh, Chip Patterson had a good story the other day talking about how quarterback competitions are going to change our perception of the upcoming football season and there are a couple of these in the sec that are going to be pretty closely watched i think you know looking what's going to happen for instance at lsu where Jaden daniel steps into the transfer from arizona state but miles brennan is there you know i don't know that daniel's necessarily lighting the world on fire at arizona state uh but at one point in time he was pretty hot shot prospect my assumption is he wins that competition over brennan there at lsu and i don't quite know that garrett nussmeyer is ready to step up and win that yet but that's one of those open quarterback competitions that's going to determine a lot about what the the rest of the sec looks like it's the same thing for a former lsu quarterback now at uh texas a&m there as well where you talk about the uh 
you know, Haynes King trying to reemerge there as a starting quarterback. Uh, he was supposed to be that a year ago, got injured and kind of taken out of the mix. Can he reemerge there? Does the recent LSU transfer kind of step up and, and win that job? We know that A&M has kind of been a quarterback away, even though, you know, Jimbo Fisher is known as a tutor of quarterbacks, going back to his time as LSU offensive coordinator or Florida State head coach. That's not really been the hallmark of what he's done uh, there at uh, Texas A&M, but with uh, Max Johnson stepping into the program and King still there, who emerges there in that spot is going to be a pretty big deal. And then the other quarterback competition that's going to get highlighted both at CBS and then kind of around the country as we get ready for the start of the season is what's going to happen in Auburn too. Bo Nix is gone. He's presumably the starting quarterback at Oregon. But in his place, you're talking about T.J. Finley, you're talking about Zach Calzada, who was obviously the quarterback for A&M a year ago that helped them knock off Alabama, but was probably not great in games other than the one that he played against the Crimson Tide. Robbie Ashford's there now, too. They had a, another young guy step away from the program. But for Brian Harson, who is like coaching to save his job here in 2022, the quarterback that emerges there is going to be, I think, a pretty intriguing story in its own right. So in the SEC West alone, you got three different quarterback battles that if you're looking for Alabama getting any competition, the SEC West remaining as deep as it's been, uh, you know, what's happening there in no spots to go along with more established guys like KJ Jefferson and Jackson Dart, who you presume is going to be the guy at Ole Miss, and obviously Will Rogers there at Mississippi State. But those quarterback competitions in the other spots in the SEC West, that could certainly be very interesting and worth following. And we'll make that cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Of course, uh, loving our friends at the Finnish Long Drink there as well. Great chance to come off the weekend where you had some fun, enjoying some time with friends and family, hopefully having a good time and enjoying some sunny, if not slightly windy weather. Whatever you're doing. Don't forget that the Finnish long drink pairs great with it. It's a cool story. You know, it comes from Helsinki back in the 1950s when the summer games were there. It was kind of a drink made to celebrate that great event. But after that, it was just it's been kind of enjoyed ever since then. And it's it's a kind of a cool, relatively new category of drink. It's called a ready-to-drink cocktail. What this means is it comes in a can, sort of looks like a beer, but it's not. It's like a mixed drink that comes just ready to drink pop the top pour it in a glass drink it straight from the can and enjoy it whether it be the traditional which is kind of a gin kick with a grapefruit flavor the long drink cranberry long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar there's a lot of celebrity investors in this it's just, the whole thing is just a really cool story so check out the longdrink.com to find out more about that also find out where you can uh, purchase some you can put in your zip code they'll tell you all of that and maybe you can even pick up the eight can variety pack which is two different cans of each of the four different long drink varieties all right with that we'll get ready to wrap up the show got a lot of golden shoes to get for you here today so we'll fire up the music and get ready to do that uh, i got a very funny submission from a guy who does a lot of great things our buddy kirby's visor this is a really uh good one let me show you this it's uh keely ringo we've done the uh the fun before with the uh, third and ringo logo first of all this is actually uh really well done and uh, Kirby's Visor shares this with, with me a great King of the Hill meme that says, if those kids could read, they'd be very upset. And it's a bunch of Bama fans looking at the third and Ringo, Keely Ringo logo. Really good stuff from uh, Kirby's Visor. That is very funny. And as you might imagine, a lot of golden shoe submissions built around the slap heard around the world last night with Will Smith and Chris Rock. And my gosh, how weird was all of that? Here's one from Chad Everson with UGA slapping Bama and back in January in Indianapolis. That's exactly what happened. So funny stuff from Chad Everson. Also another one there as well. You know, we don't talk about Bruno from the uh, movie Encanto. Uh, Heather Leo checks in to say we don't talk about Jada. It's just Jada Pinkett Smith. That's the wife of Will Smith who Will stood up for last night. 
Golden Shoe to Heather there as well. That's all really funny. Golden Shoe's all the way around there. Lousy, stinking Gators, they get slapped around a lot too. 4,827 days for them. Long title drought and getting slapped down by the dogs again. 215 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown between now and the time that Georgia beats its biggest rival all over again. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll see you back here again tomorrow. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take your comments here. Of course, brought to you by R.S. Andrews. Find them online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. I want to read a few comments here, and some of this going back to last week, we talked about, hey, maybe Georgia should try Brock Bowers at wide receiver. It's kind of, a, as I said during the show, kind of a crackpot opinion, not necessarily you know, fully formed, but just kind of thing I sort of threw out there. Kirby fan writes in that we have four very able-bodied tight ends that all could line up with one of the faster wide receivers. That should about take care of it. Yeah, I mean, my issue on this comes to, whether it be playing multiple tight ends in more creative ways or playing multiple running backs, something that Georgia did a lot last year is, is that it's really about getting your best 11 players on the field. You know, we say this with offensive line a lot of who are your best five, regardless of position, who are your best five, and then can you find a position fit for those? And they were kind of moving to that same thing on, on, on some of this there as well, which if you look at the Bowers production a year ago, it was wide receiver level production. In fact, you know, in a lot of metrics, only one or two guys in the entire league were better at catching the football than Bowers was a year ago. I, you know, I, I'll fully admit that doesn't necessarily mean that he should definitely be a wide receiver. But in terms of thinking about him as more than I'm going to use air quotes here just to tie it in. I think that kind of makes some sense to me. However, slightly different take from UGA Dad 20, who says, I have to disagree with BA about Bowers playing wide receiver. He says, to a degree, Bowers and Gilbert are positionless players, but why change what has already been extremely successful? Why take two players and put them in different positions? As Terrence Edwards says, you have three flex tight ends, exactly. A lot of 12 and 13 formations where you have two and three tight ends on the field for every play. If you throw Bowers to the wide receiver mix, he has to share the position with six other wide receivers. So all that I think is really true. I guess part of my reason for bringing that up is, okay, well, if Gilbert's a tight end again, and based on some of the early chatter last week, it seems like that might be the case. We'll see if it stays that way, but it seems like that might be the case. And if you know, Oscar Delp is a young guy competing for playing time, and if Darnell Washington's back healthy, that you know, part of my reason for saying what I said was Bowers kind of moving over and playing more of a wide receiver type thing gave him a chance to make some room for like more tight ends to play there too i mean i know george has got the injury situation rylan Gody, i guess dealing with that there as well um but in terms of capable bodies i don't know that any position per capita has more than tight end does and so part of this for me is just how creative can you be about getting as many of these guys on the field as possible um erox says though that my logic is hard to follow on that he says the opponent's going to to put who they put on Bowers, if they're going to put their uh, best cover corner on him no matter what, then it's not going to make a difference where he lines up. If keeping him as tight end means the opponent's best cover guy goes wide receiver, he goes, well, there you go. It's mismatched with Bowers, and that is true. He says the bottom line is Bowers' robust and versatile skill set makes him a problem whenever he's on the field. That's not going to change depending on where he lines up. And I think what Rock is kind of centering in on is a lot of what I'm thinking here of, you know, think about the way in which Michigan probably prepared to defend Brock Bowers and yet very first drive of the game he's wide open for a touchdown I mean that was really indicative of Todd Munkin's ability to get Bowers involved no matter what and now a year later going into his second year with even more defenses spending more time keying on what can they do to take him away I just think that becomes you know really 
pivotal and very intriguing to see what defenses do to try to neutralize Bowers and how Georgia does respond to all of that. And it's also kind of interesting that there are a lot of guys kind of in a similar mold to Bowers of guys who could be tight ends, but they seem to run really well for big guys. And I guess finding a way to be as creative with how you use all of these guys, whether you call Bowers a tight end or not, trying to be as creative as you can by using all of these guys, I think is going to be uh, probably a fascinating subplot for the dogs this year. So good comments on all of that. Thanks for weighing in as part of our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down today. Of course, find R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Hope all of you have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door.